Welcome to the Meditation Conversation. You are listening to Cara and Alessandra. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining us today. We have a special guest today, Sammy Doyle, Samantha Doyle. Do you prefer Sammy or Samantha? Either or is fine. Okay. Um, And Sammy's had a really transformational, beautiful journey in her life um, that centers around yoga and the yogic living, yogic lifestyle. She um, was was already a yogi when she encountered some health um, issues that she was trying to address and... The medical community was basically telling her that there wasn't anything she could do. And she started exploring Ayurveda. She started exploring the um, yogic teachings and learned that there was actually a lot that she could do and um, was able to have a, a healing journey through that. So I'm really excited to hear more about that and share that with you. And then she has been a yoga teacher. She now runs a successful business where she's um, doing a lot of coaching. And on top of all of this, she's the mother of four beautiful children. And um, she homeschools them. And the list goes on and on. And um and also noteworthy, she is joining us from Australia. So today we are covering three continents, <laughs> which is always interesting. We are expanding. And so in order to do this, it is my morning, Alessandra's afternoon, and it's late evening for Sammy. So we are, we're covering all time zones and all representations of nature's um, day here. <laughs> so thank you for joining us, Sammy. Thank you so much for being here with us. We're very grateful to have you. I'll just give a short introduction how Sammy got into my life. Uh, It was about two or three years ago, and I signed up for something called a Yoga Summit, which is an online event with different speakers every day. So I think it was for a month, but there was um, Sammy and someone else who really somehow inspired me extra much and so I started to follow her on social media and with time I got more inspired and one day I joined her program so I'm part of her coaching program now and um, what really inspired me with Sami is that she turned the impossible into possible when with the help of Ayurveda and yoga and I also have heard stories of you going to India and you were you were thinking about giving up the Western society, living in an ashram. You were really seeking. Yeah. Can you perhaps take us on that journey with you? Because I know there is a big contrast between you as an, in your early 20s and where you are now. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Okay. And, and it all kind of interconnects as well as to... Um, yeah, just the evolution of uh, my health and I guess my spiritual life and then now the way my business operates as well, which 
I think, feeds back into the messaging that you guys are putting out where um, I work with a lot of post-grad yoga teachers or people who are seeking more meaning and purpose in their career. And part of what we offer in the program means that we're working in that sphere of alternative health and wellness and lifestyle. Um, but the way that I dress it up is with heels and Fendi bags and we talk business <laughs> and we talk business. And the reason why I do that is not because I don't burn incense every day or have an altar or have crystals or practice, you know, and meditate and go to Kirtan. It's because I want to be a voice for yoga in such a way that people can embrace it in their life where they're at right now and not feel like they have to externally change who they are to, to fit into any kind of stereotype or, um, so, so yes, I have come through, I have been to India a few times and I have mm. those stories and I have had that experience, but what I, I guess got out of the transformation that I went through, which I'll go over in a sec is just how much, you know, yoga is not what you see on the imagery on Instagram. And it's so much deeper than that. And the principles and the end goal of yoga are what transform people's lives. And, and it's not the external dress or the outward projection of the stereotypes of yoga. So, so that's why, yeah, there's, I have had experienced a bit of both <laughs> and not opposed to either. Not, they're not mutually exclusive in my life. They're both in a very balanced way. Um, so basically what I went through, um, I had a rocky teenage life and, um, very privileged living in Sydney, um, had, you know, just a usual teenage lifestyle, but from a young age, experienced challenges and experienced the power of the mind in a negative way and how it created a lot of degradation in my life and then also lack of understanding of meaning and purpose in my life, no spiritual roots. Um, and as I got older, um, so going on 17, 18, I started to really question, like, what is this? I'm not, this is just not enough. This is not making sense. I don't understand what's happening here. And and all my friends were telling me, you've just got to stop overthinking. Just stop asking those questions and then you'll be fine. And I just couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't, that wasn't, that didn't sit right with me. And so I left school, uh, moved out of home and left school at 16 and worked six months straight, saved up a whole bunch of cash and traveled and traveled mainly through uh, Southeast Asia, India for a month, and anywhere where there was overt spirituality and, and religion and just looking and, I guess, trying to experience culture where that was open because in Australia it's quite conservative. And Were you by yourself as a 16-year-old? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So I traveled when I was 17. But okay. that first, yeah, so I moved out of home when I was 16 uh -huh. on my own and just share house with friends and lived in Yukai, which is like inland from Byron. You think Byron's hippie? Yukai is like next level alternative. <laughs> <laughs> and so just doing that and so just really kind of exploring beyond that typical first world framework. And then um, so coming home from all of that, realized that no matter where I traveled to, no matter how much exposure I had to religion, cultures, you know, my family around the world, I still had myself wherever I went and my dissatisfaction with not knowing who I was or my purpose in life um, 
didn't know how to nourish myself spiritually. So that realization really made me sort of start to take life a little bit more seriously and and realize that it, there was no quick fix. I couldn't actually leave and run away and find it somewhere else. What I needed was an internal thing and that was very confronting and a little bit like, oh, damn it. <laughs> I was hoping it wasn't going to be that, but it was. <laughs> and um, so once I got to that point where I was like, okay, it's inner work, um, I ended up on the Gold Coast living with my brother and at that point I was, my eating disorder was severe Um I hadn't menstruated for four years. I was just really living life on the edge, I guess, <laughs> like just pushing my body to the edge and feeling like really, really high nervousness all the time and anxious and nervous and uncomfortable all the time to the point of insomnia and just really intense mental plane and I was kind of looking for help and one day I was on my daily power walk back when discmans were a thing and listening to like an intense like a trance music type CD, dance dance CD at like 7 o'clock in the morning and then power walking past this yoga centre and it was like it was like I hit an invisible concrete wall and was like, whoa, and stopped and looked and it was just this tiny door it wasn't like a big studio. It was just one tiny door that you had to go up above this record store to get to the center. And I just got magnetized to it, grabbed one of the studio timetables, walked away with it, went home and just made a decision, right, you need to try something, try this yoga meditation thing. And back then this was when it was like really alternative. It wasn't a mainstream industry yet. And it was just on the verge of that happening. And so I decided to start going to these classes on a Tuesday morning and I was literally, I was bartending in a high-end strip club at the time. So I would bartend in the strip club all night and then go home, jump in the ocean, wait for the studio to open and then go to the class. So I was literally oh, wow. going from one world to another. Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah, and um, just knew the first day I walked in there, it was just like, okay, this is this is amazing, just the the mantras playing on the stereo, the way everything felt cosy, the, the smells, everything just felt like home and it felt comfortable, the people were so friendly, the class itself, um, everything about it felt exactly like I need to be here. Mm-hmm. And so I kept going to these classes and... Um, and sorry, so this is after India... So after my first trip to India, okay, yes. but you and it was when you came back from India, you were having you were having all of that anxiety and the eating disorder, yes. and so, so about this time yeah. you're in your early twenties. I was nineteen. Nineteen, okay. Yeah, and I had a history like I'd had an I had bulimia since I was fourteen, had been doing drugs since I was fifteen, out of home at sixteen. So there was this accumulation of you know recreational drug use and late nights working clubs in the night hospitality and then studying in the day sleeping very occasionally like throughout the day but not getting my whole balance was completely out and so as I started going to this uh, yoga classes and meditation starting to feel 
that contrast between the way I was living and the peacefulness that I felt when I was engaged in those practices or at the center. And then once, once that happened, that's when I realized I had options and a foot in each canoe. And I wanted to embrace the yoga lifestyle more, but I was so heavily entrenched in this other lifestyle that my whole, all my friends, my family, um, my work was, it was just not that easy to extricate myself. So I felt a little bit trapped and was praying for help because that contrast just became so apparent and I felt so stuck in my life that I didn't want anymore and I didn't see a way out, even though I could see the light on the other side. I didn't know how to get myself from A to B. And um, I just remember I had, after a really, really big night, I woke up the next day with a lot of shame and a lot of compounding anxiety about where my life was at and what I was doing, crouched down between the toilet and the shower, just like praying for the first time I think I ever actually prayed for help and was just repeating mantras, like not, didn't know what else to do or where else to go. And, um, yeah, it was from that day on, I think I got worse for like oh, that week was really rocky. I ended up in the emergency ward for self-harming and then got flown to a, to Sydney to um, be put in a private clinic for rehabilitation for a month. And it was that break that gave me the opportunity that I felt like that crying out for help actually was the thing that even though you tell the story and you're like, that sounds like a nightmare. Oh my God. Imagine like that's horrible. But that looking back on it, that was the time where I feel like I just got transplanted out of that difficult situation that I couldn't extricate from myself from put in this clinic for a month where they retrained me how to eat. They you know, made my bed every day. There was like people around and I felt nurtured and it was the closest thing that I'd felt for being looked after for a very long time and had my mala beads. So I was able to keep meditating while I was there. And um, that was sort of the end, the beginning of the end of that old chapter and the beginning of that opportunity to start seeking out my new life. Um, but, and making that transition, but leading up to that, part of what created that intense breakdown was I had struggled with the eating disorder for a long time and all of the mental health professionals, God bless them and the work they do because it's very much needed. But the common rhetoric was you never fully recover. You just learn to manage your symptoms better. Mm. And I was like, wow, I can't believe you're telling, you're telling me this, but you're telling everyone this? Like, yeah. that's what a crock. Like, and <laughs> such a young age as well where, right? you know, you're, it's like, thank yeah. God you have the will you have that you didn't it was accept like, that. It was like, I can, can you imagine being 19 and being told, this is your life now, you're never going to fully yeah. recover? So like, no, I can't imagine. Here's some meds, here's some meds yeah. and just like, this will help you calm down a little bit and I'd been told that I was, like, one doctor diagnosed me as bipolar, another one OCD, another one, like, anorexia slash bulimia. There was all these, like, diagnoses being thrown around and it was really medicalized. And the other scenario that I had was the no period thing for four years. So I went to my doctor. After I started practicing the physical asanas and stuff, I started to get in tune with my body a little bit more and feel things. And I was like, 
hang on a minute, it's not right that I haven't had a period for four years. Like, that's not normal. <laughs> and so I went and got a full check. And when I went into the doctor, she told me, I said, oh, I'm not menstruating. It's been four years and I have an eating disorder and I'd really like to get some help. And she was like, oh, yeah, well, if, if you're not if you're not eating, of course you're not going to be menstruating. And I was like, and I said, I'd really like to get some scans done of my reproductive organs. I'd like to see a gynecologist. I would like to get everything checked. I'd mm-hmm. like to get my hormones checked, a full blood count. We were almost arguing because she didn't want to give me those tests. We mm-hmm. were almost, it was like she was red in the face and I was having to assert myself as a, an obviously sick, 19 year old to get the help that I need just checks I'm just asking for checks mm-hmm. and so finally pushed them through got the, and then went and had scans done and everything got called back to the doctors immediately same doctor gets the textbook out and she's like oh so luckily we had those scans because both your ovaries are riddled with cysts and um, your hormones are completely out You've got very, very high this and very, very low this. Your iron is completely gone. Um, so, and then all of these other symptoms, which you read from a textbook, she said, yes, you classify as polycystic ovary syndrome. They don't know what causes it, but here's a prescription for progesterone cream. You just rub it on your arm and, yeah, that's mm. it. And I was like, okay, so 19 irreversible mental health situation, going to have to deal with it. Okay, and now you're – oh, and then she said – she followed it up with, oh, you'll probably never have children, and if you do fall pregnant, it's really highly likely that you'll miscarry. So just be really careful of that and make sure that you do pregnancy tests often because you won't need contraception, but you will need to check um, if you've fallen pregnant just to, just to be sure that you're not hurting a baby or something. And it was oh just this goodness. really – wow. Completely detached from – the 19-year-old being told you'll never have children and and I've already confessed that I had mental health issues. Yeah. So I walked out of there and was like, called my mom straight away and I'm like, I'm going to be a crazy cat lady. I can't have children. This is – and she and her response was, well, you've always been kind of odd. I think everyone pegged you that way anyway. And I was like, hang on a minute. Oh, my goodness, Sammy. <laughs> And then, and so I just kind of accepted it for a few weeks. And then one day I remember waking up going, okay, I'm sure, like nobody asked me about my diet, about my sleeping, the environment that I'm existing in, in the strip club, like, Mm. and I would go home and my brother was in the motorbike industry. So he worked in the magazine media industry with motorbikes. So we lived in editor, advertiser, motorbikes down the back, boys coming over all the time to play motorbikes, DJ decks in the living room. So I didn't have a home sanctuary where the club life would switch off. It was constant. And so going through all of that, I was like, I'm sure if I change a few things, if I eat some food, if I just eat and I keep it down, if I sleep eight hours a day, like even if I can just get some sleep in, if I stop running 10Ks a day and I moderate my exercise, see what happens there. Stop the drug use. That might also help. And so I, this is back before internet was so readily available in everyone's homes and I used to on a Saturday morning, I'd finish at the club, go home, shower and walk back to the library and sit on the floor in the library in the health section 
I just did that every Saturday morning for a few weeks until I finally got to these books on Ayurveda. And I have this one book on Ayurveda that I borrowed by Robert Swoboda. And, you know, it's like you mentioned the Yoga Summit. It was so incredible to be able to speak on that event because I was in the visuals of the lineup. It was like Robert Swoboda, Samantha Doyle, and I was just like, this is crazy because it was his book. <laughs> yeah, it started everything. And That's I was beautiful. like, yeah, it was so wow. – It was no, and no one really knew that, but I was just like, this is crazy. This is so cool. So – can I just yeah. ask, because it seems like very, very conscious choice, because normally I think when you're in those kind of environments or that place where you were, yeah, it's very hard to think, hmm, maybe if I eat better food or maybe if I, like, yeah. where did you get that idea from? Or, I think it was because I had, had, you know, three or four months going to yoga classes and that was already starting to change things. I was already meditating and I was already seeing people at the community, like, you know, they have like a Sunday kirtan satsang type thing. And I'm like, oh, the vibe here is totally different. Wow, they eat vegetarian. I'm vegetarian. I'd been vegetarian since I was 12. And to go there and they're like, oh, yeah, we eat vegetarian foods. And they had a library of books that you could borrow, yoga books and yoga philosophy. So I was just like lapping up all of this philosophy going oh my god this is like answers to everything that everyone's saying just stop thinking about it it was all there it was like the mind the senses like your health and talking about the mode of goodness and how the mode of goodness lifestyle affects your mind and all these things that I just like had just touched on was just enough to kind of go hang on I can't there's more to this yeah and then you've got on top of that which is an interesting phenomenon where because you were immersed in that world, you know, our conscious mind only takes in just a small fraction of what we're actually perceiving on the various levels of the body, of the, of the being. So it, it, it'd be interesting, you know, something that we can't know with our conscious minds, but how much of that just was influenced by immersing yourself in that vibration and kind of picking up on that bigger vibration. You know, Yogananda said that, thoughts are universal, thoughts are universally rooted and not individually rooted. So it's just kind of interesting to think too, like not only what you knew from your conscious mind, but what you were bringing in mm. by submerging. And then of course you're, you're a soul, you're much bigger than your body and your personality. So you had some sort of footprint that goes beyond the body and the soul or beyond the body and the personality, who knows what, I mean, I'm sure that was a, a big influence you were able to tap into as well. Yeah, I think definitely I felt like with mantra meditation, that was incredibly powerful. And it was the first time I'd ever experienced something that worked on a consciousness, heart, soul level. And I think that people maybe underestimate or don't understand the depth at which mantras affect the mind and heart. And so even mm -hmm. to, you know, cause I remember, I remember like really early on going to the yoga center, um, the teacher there who I'm still good friends with, she was my age or a couple years older than me and really young and vibrant and taught a really fun class. And we had Kirtan at the end. And sometimes she would teach the uh, Japa Mala at the end with, chanting repetitive mantras softly and 
she was like, well, you don't have to sit here and do this. You can walk on the beach and do this or, you know, like this is a really practical thing. You can do it when you're relaxing in bed or on the couch or just looking out in nature and it doesn't have to be a rigid formal practice. It's the powers and the mantras. And I looked at the beads and I was already looking and going, oh, my God, I have so many of those little stretchy mala bracelets. I could cut them all up and make 108. And I just did that without telling anyone. And I just thought, you know what, I'm – going on an hour-long walk every day with my discman. What if I took away the discman and I added the mala beads and the mantras? And so from really early on in that in my practice at the center, it wasn't so much, I think, the asanas necessarily, but it was that embracing the mantra meditation with no expectation, just allowing my mind and heart to rest in it and let it just like not think about anything else and walk on the beach at sunrise and I loved it so much. It felt like the only time of the day that I actually rested and I felt it straight away. And then it became, oh, I may as well do it at sunset as well, you know, and go for a little half hour walk then. And I think that really natural, organic way of being able to embrace meditation and and unknowingly allow the mantras to, you know, do their thing, whether we believe it or not. It's so powerful and it really, I think definitely that that had a, that intercepted my life journey at the right time because it did allow me to go, okay, I do have options here. My mind, I have to stop listening to my mind. I have to stop this madness of the eating disordered stuff and as crazy as it is to try and change that, there is something like to be said for just slowing down and looking for other options. And, yeah, so, so yeah, I think that it wasn't just like it just came out of nowhere. I think the combination of I was desperate and I'd been engaging in the yoga lifestyle, the asanas, the meditation, thoughtfully starting to think about my life from reading the philosophy as well. And so the shifts were happening without me even knowing. And then I finally got to that point where they were like, you're basically never going to have children. And, you know, that was mm-hmm. tipping of the, where I just was like, oh, I've got to do something. And so when I found this book and it talked about Vata and it talked about, you know, yeah, high Vata and Vata derangement, I was like, wow, that's me to a T. And I'm doing literally everything wrong to make that a thing and make that a disease state. And so from there, I took the book, with me home but I think it was only it was like a matter of like a week or two later I ended up in the emergency ward and then came home from the emergency ward was allowed to pack like one bag basically and then was down in Sydney and I packed that book (laughs) and my kids still to this day are like mom this is a library book like why is this you know like how do you have this this is from like a long time ago and you haven't returned it and I'm like it's a, yep. <laughs> but it's, um, so I had that book with me and when I was in rehab, I was reading that book and, um, yoga philosophy, like scripture, chanting on my beads and just praying for guidance. And, um, I wasn't sure, but I think it was also, there was another, there was actually another trip to India, which I think is the one that you're referring to. So the second time I went back to India, was just before this all happened and I was very much like yep spirituality 
I'm going to embrace spirituality more, but I was undecided on is it going to be the yogic path or is it Buddhist path? Because a lot of what I read in Buddhism was very enticing and beautiful and made sense. There were things about it that I thought, hmm, I'm not sure. And then with yoga, I was like, I don't know, I think it's this. So anyway, I, I go to India and I'm praying along the way, like stopping in Bangkok to get a quick tattoo. You know how it is <laughs> in the yoga. Um, and was really considering like what, what path am I going down because I, I just, I'm really praying for guidance. And so, yeah, it was, it was that trip to India that I met a friend over there and we had a great time. And then I just said, oh, I, I need to go out on my own for a while. So I went and traveled up to the north of India on my own and was trying to get to Bodhi Gaya to get to the Buddha circuit because I was like, yep, that's what I'm doing. Even though I was praying for guidance, I was like, that's what I'm doing, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I just kept getting these little things along the way, like that happened without planning or like curveballs got thrown and the yogic path just kept landing in my lap. It was just getting amplified more and more and swimming in the Ganges and ending up accidentally in Vrindavan and then going to Bodhi Gaya and everything went wrong. Like everything. Oh. <laughs> like it just, I was like, okay, I was praying for signs. Like I'm pretty sure the fire and getting ripped off and the plane not coming. And then, you know, it was oh. all like, <laughs> oh. it was like constant within like three days. Um, and then everything else was such ease and magic and beauty. And just, I was like really sure when I came back yep this is what I want to do and it, I now look back and think that whole going through rehab and getting transplanted and the breakdown and everything kind of had to happen as we talk about first mm. comes the breakdown then comes the breakthrough mm-hmm. it had to happen for me to actually get myself out of that situation because it was so intense I was just so wrapped up in it and for whatever reasons and um so when I got out of when I was in rehab having had that with me, having had yoga with me and being so excited by it and inspired by it and and just wanting to read more. And they wouldn't let you take yoga mats into the rehabilitation center because it was eating huh? disorders and you weren't allowed to do any uh, exercise. Okay. Yeah. Uh. So so I so I was in there and I'm like, okay, no yoga mats, right? Okay. And then, but just, yeah, had scripture to read and my beads and it just really gave me time to rest and restore and get sort of connect with that solely without the fun of the asana classes because I'm an ex-gymnast too. So you can imagine the attraction to asana classes is like, yeah. wee! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was uh, the end of part one of Sammy's journey with yoga and meditation and uh, next week we will let you hear the rest of the story and we'll also dive deeper into how she used all those challenges and built up her own business and we'll also share with you listeners how you can start to implement the tools she shares in her programs in your everyday life right So thank you, everybody, for joining us for this first part. And um, also, you know, Alessandra and I are always um, available different ways. So we, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, we have a way to contact us through 
the website and for themeditationconversation.com. We both have our own websites as well where we um, where you can get to know us better. And um, mine is at meditationbycara.com. And Alessandra? Well, mine is www.alessandrakiling.com. Uh, if it's hard to spell it out, you can find it through the Meditation Conversation podcast website. Right. So those are always ways to connect with us, to get more inspiration, to learn how you can interact with us if you're interested. Um, and so we look forward to the next meditation conversation. Thanks for joining us.